Welcome to New Birth Christian Ministries. We are glad you are joining us today. Our services will begin shortly. Here at New Birth, our mission is to transform our families, our schools, our community, and our city by introducing everyone to Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that Christ will change their hearts and baptize them into His family by the Holy Spirit called New Birth. The New Birth experience will begin shortly. In the command to rejoice, to be content, and to have gratitude no matter what you're going through. Now, though we amen and though we say yes and though we confirm that, one thing we can be honest about and say is that these attitudes do not come natural to you and I. It is not natural for me to have gratitude when things are not going my way. It is not natural for me to be able to thank God when everything in my life is chaotic. It is not natural for me to come and be able to shout and give glory to God when I got bills that are due and I don't know how I'm going to pay them. It, it's an attitude that must be practiced and cultivated. And so all this month through the lens of Scripture, we're going to focus on how to rejoice always so that we can anchor our lives in the contentment of Christ. And this month, we're going to learn to be thankful through it all. Somebody say thankful through it all. That is going to be our challenge this month. That's going to be your challenge this week. That in everything you're going through, you're going to learn to be thankful through it all. And so we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. We're going to be at the 16th verse. I'm going to read two verses for you and then we'll get right into our word today. It says... Rejoice evermore. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Verse 18 says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Father God, we thank you for everything that has transpired so far in this service. We thank you for every ministry that is operating for every elder, for every usher, for every greeter, for every nurse. We thank you, Father God, for everyone who is in the building and watching on live stream. We ask that right now we continue to experience an encounter with you. That we are not here to listen to a man, but we are here to hear the word of God so that we may apply it to our life. That we not just shout about it, that we not just amen about it, but that we apply it at this very moment so that we can live it out and give your name glory in every single area of our life. We come against every distraction, every lie of the enemy, every text that may come in, every call that may try to disrupt. We ask that we focus on what it is you have for us in this appointed time. We give your name glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this particular book, Paul is delivering final instructions or a benediction to his church. And as he's closing, he's telling the brothers and sisters inside the church, he says to them, um, before he gets to the part we just read, he first tells them, he says, um, know those who labor among you. I'll say it again. He says, know those who labor among you. 
He says, build relationships, care about them, find out about the people who are in your church. Now, now this is important because church was never meant to be a place where believers just stop by. But, but the early church was, in fact, the body of believers who fellowshiped together and built something called community. See, see, we talk about community a lot, but do we know what it really means from the lens of Scripture? Because nowadays, many of us come to church without even speaking to people. We walk in the door with the people we came with, talk to the people we came with, don't say hi to the person next to you. Don't ask how their week went, how they're doing, what they need. We get a word, we shout, we dance, we wave our hand and leave right back out without even having conversations with people. And, and, and church has become very transactional in that we've made it very businesslike and less personal and empathetic. We find that the goal for many of us is to get in and get out. But when you consider what Paul is trying to communicate with the church of Thessalonica, he's talking to a young church. Uh, Thessalonica was a, was a newer church. They were newer converts to the word. Um, he'd been torn away from them due to persecution and due to pressure, and now they're experiencing the same persecution and the same pressure that caused them to have to leave. And so what he does is he sends them a letter to begin to encourage them and lay the framework and begin to encourage them to stay strong and stay thankful. And one way he does this is to say one way you become thankful and grateful is to get to know the people around you. It, it, it's hard to see the correlation, so I, I, I kind of got to go and, and break it down for us. Listen, when we build relationships and you have community inside the church, what it does is it builds you up and prepares you to stand in the midst of persecution you're going to experience outside the church. When I have relationships that have built me up inside the sanctuary, it is going to prepare me for what I'm about to face when I leave the sanctuary. And so what happens is you become thankful for healthy relationships. Now, it's hard many times for us to tell the difference between toxic and healthy relationships. Because many of us have only experienced toxic relationships. And so part of the purpose of us building community around Jesus and around the faith is to show what healthy relationship looks like and what healthy community feels like. See, you and I were never meant to walk in faith alone. Now, let me say this. Your relationship with Christ is, in fact, a personal relationship. Uh, nobody can confess for you. Nobody can submit for you. But it is your personal relationship with Christ that should impact your public relationship with the people around you. Which means that believers should thrive in community and know who labor among them. Uh, one of the deadliest tactics that, that, that the enemy will use is he will make you feel alone and isolated. Because if he can make you feel alone and isolated, you'll be easier prey to devour. First Peter, First Peter 5 and 8. I'm going to show you this. First Peter 5 and 8. First uh, Peter 5 and 8, it, it says something very simple. It says, be sober, 
It says, be vigilant. It says, because your adversary, the devil, is as a what? A roaring lion. And what does he do? He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. One thing about a pride of lions is they have the patience to wait for the perfect time before they make a move to devour their prey. Now, now most of the time when they're hunting, they are hunting something that is bigger than all of them. Because they're all going to eat off that thing. So it has to be large enough for them all to get full off of. They're usually hunting something that's bigger, that's stronger, that really could beat them in a fight one-on-one. So therefore, as a strategy to help them get their kill, uh, one of the techniques that they use to help them overtake beasts that are three times their size is to separate the prey from the fold. Um, A thirsty water buffalo weighs about 1,500 pounds. It can easily trample a lion. Uh, uh, In fact, if the herd was to stay together, in theory, they will be able to overpower and trample the pride of lions. However, the lion does an excellent job of causing confusion and chaos. And when the lion causes confusion and chaos... The herd that should stay together ends up scattering and going in all kinds of different directions. And so what happens is they wait for the one water buffalo that isolates themselves. The lions do not go and chase the water buffalo one by one. Instead, they make them scatter to figure out who's going to be the weakest and who's going to isolate themselves. And then they all go after the one that has isolated themselves and put their attention on the one that got separated. All of the focus is now on the one water buffalo as opposed to the eight that stayed together. When you let the enemy lie to you and isolate you from community, what what happens is it will give him the opportunity to begin to pounce in your situation. In the pounce, he can devour your faith. In the pounce, he can devour your peace. In the pounce, he can devour your joy. In the pounce, he creates confusion that causes you to be ungrateful. And there are times where many of us Think to ourselves that, you know what, I'm going to just isolate myself. I'm just not going to talk to nobody. I'm just not going to deal with nobody. We get angry and isolate ourselves. We get hurt and isolate ourselves. We get mad at the world and isolate ourselves. And that is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to be mad at your brother and your sister in the faith and isolate yourself so that he can be the roaring lion and devour you. And in our little temper tantrum, we've isolated ourselves and put ourselves in position where you're not hurting anybody but yourself. Paul speaks with this revelation of the roaring lion and warns us that you and I must be what? We must be sober. We must be vigilant because if not, you will become a victim. He says, be vigilant. He says, stay awake. He says, stay attentive. He says, be knowledgeable and know who labor among you through building community and relationships with the body of believers. See, when I know you and you know me, I know how to pray for you. I understand how to support you. 
and I become committed to seeing you grow, seeing you thrive, and won't let you just live any old kind of way. When I know you and you know me, I'll help keep your children in check when you're not around. Your children just won't walk around any old kind of way, talking any old kind of way. When I see them out in public, see them at the mall, I'll check them like I'm you because I know you and I got relationship with you. And since we've built community and relationship inside the church, that means that my children know that they can go to you for help when I'm not around. See, this right here is not just a place to say you attend. It's not just a place to say, oh, I go to New Birth. Yes, wear a New Birth shirt and a New Birth hat. This right here is a place to know who labors among you. And when you are involved and when you are invested, when you actually care, what happens is it serves to grow a spirit of gratefulness on the inside of you. See, I'm not just grateful to be able to say uh, I go to new birth, but I'm grateful for the family of new birth that I've come to know and to labor among. I'm grateful for healthy relationships. Uh, One thing he says, he says, know who labor among you, but also know who labor over you or who who, who teaches you. He, He says, check in on your leaders. Now, there seems to be a celebrity culture that, that the church has fallen into. And that for, for some reason, we have this idea that, that the pastor or the preacher or the elder or the people who are on stage are untouchable. They're, they're unreachable, uh, that they should be shielded from the people. But, but listen, if Jesus was amongst the people, walking with the people, building relationships with the people, what makes you think that leadership should not be building relationships with the people? And so the same way that you seek to build relationships with the people who you sit next to, Week in and week out, you should also know the leaders, the, the, the leaders that, that labor among you. But, but remember, remember I told you the church at Thessalonica was a new church. Uh, they were new converts. And so you got to put this chapter in its historical context because it's not talking necessarily about preachers and pastors. Now, why do I say that? Well, Thessalonica was a young church. So Paul had not yet had the opportunity to go back and appoint leaders inside that church yet. However, even though they were not appointed, leaders end up rising up. Okay. Paul didn't have to go back yet and name any pastors, any elders, any leaders, but but there were some who rose up. And when you learn how to operate from thanksgiving and from contentment and a grateful heart, You're not waiting for somebody to put you in position before you start serving. Gratefulness will cause you to serve in excellence without the title. Because gratefulness and thanksgiving that you have on the inside of you would not let you just sit around and do nothing. You can't just come to church and sit and get. Your gratefulness and your servitude will cause you to say, listen, I see something ain't right. Let me go help out. And when I operate from just being grateful with the fact that I got another 24 hours, when I operate from the fact that I'm grateful that God has put breath in my lungs, when I operate from the fact that I'm just grateful that my car made it to the church today, 
I don't need the elder to acknowledge me before I start serving the people around me. And instead of complaining about the ministry, I say to myself, let me join the ministry and figure out how I can make the ministry better. Instead of complaining about what's wrong with the ministry, I say to myself, I wonder how I can help with the time that I got to make the ministry better. We do so much complaining, but don't want to work to help it out. And when you're grateful, you begin to step in and serve. Not because you got a title, but because you're thankful. I don't need a title or a badge or a name tag before I just start helping to stack chairs. I don't need a t-shirt before I start taking out trash. I don't need a title before I go help in the youth sanctuary. The church that he's talking about was operating from a spirit of gratefulness, a spirit of thankfulness. And so therefore, leaders just rose up without having anybody appoint them. And many of us are waiting to be appointed when really if you just be grateful, it will compel you to serve without having somebody appoint you to a title. And as I develop relationships and as I build more friendships, my life becomes more full. As I grow in fellowship, as I grow in relationship, as I grow in gratitude, he says, um, now listen. As you begin to serve, as you begin to naturally become a leader because you have a heart of thankfulness, as you begin to give to other people, as you begin to sow your time and sow your energy, he says, listen, um, you also got to have an ability to deal with the stuff that people are going to bring. See, because everybody loves to serve and everybody loves to be in leadership. Everybody loves to be on the stage, but nobody tells you about all the stuff you got to deal with. He says, you're going to serve through gratitude, and as you serve through thankfulness, I want you to be mindful of the seasons of life that the people you are serving may be in. I want to help us out. Everyone in this building and everyone watching on live stream are in different seasons of their life. None of us are all in the same season at the same time. And so since everybody you deal with will be in a different season, you got to learn how to deal with people based on the season they are in. Many of us are in the mature season. Some of us are focused on family. Some of us kicking it. Some of us focused on financial growth. Some are about to be married. Some are moving on from past relationships. Some are rebuilding their lives, coming out of seasons of addiction. Some are living in seasons of addiction. We're in all different seasons. And what Paul does, he says, as you serve through gratitude, as you remain thankful through it all, he says, let me remind you that you're going to be dealing with different people in different seasons. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14. He, he kind of gives us some seasons that people are going to be dealing with, some seasons that people around us may currently be in, some seasons that you and I may currently be in at this particular moment. He says, now we exhort you, brethren. He says, warn them that are unruly, comma. He says, comfort the feeble-minded, comma. Support the weak, comma. Be patient toward all 
men. Okay. Now, the first one he says is warn them that are what? Unruly. <laughs> as you learn to get to know them that labor among you, as you serve and you fellowship with each other from a spirit of thankfulness, you're going to meet some people who are in a season of being unruly. <laughs> and you got to be thankful in all seasons. Okay, the word unruly in the text, it deals with somebody who's not being ruled, they're, they're being governed, they're being guided. It means that they're not having um, self-control, that, that no one is over them. So they're doing what they want, when they want, with who they want, with no intention of ever walking under positive authority. Paul is saying, there's some people among you and around you who are not going to submit to the things of God, but still come to church every Sunday. Still sit next to you every Sunday. Still shout, still dance, still snot. Still roll on the floor, but are not going to submit to what God is telling them to do. They know right, but will not walk right. They are unruly. They show up to church with no plans of ever changing. And Paul says, in that very dangerous season of their lives, you need to warn them. Now, the word warn in the text is not the kind of warn that you and I like to sound the alarm on. The word warn in the text is the same Greek root word that's used for the word admonish that you see all through Scripture. So, so it's not about being rude. It's not about putting them on blast. It's not about outing them in front of everybody. This is a tender and loving rebuke. Hear me. There is a time in our lives where we all need a tender and loving rebuke. Because what we're currently doing, how we're currently living, the decisions we're currently making, they are unruly and out of order. And we must, out of love for those who labor among us, you must be able to confront them in love when they're not walking with Jesus. Okay, you may say, what does this have to do with being thankful? Well, listen, um, me personally, I am thankful that in my unruly season, someone had enough love to come and confront me about my unruly nature. Okay. Y'all acting like y'all never had an unruly. Some of us are on our 50th unruly season. 75th unruly season. Back to back to. But I'm thankful. For the warning. I'm thankful that somebody came to me and said, listen, I love you, Yavis, but what you are doing, God is not pleased with. He has so much for you. He has destiny on your life. You must submit. You can't be mad at the world because your dad died. You can't be mad that you ain't have what you thought you had. You can't be upset because God, what he did, he adopted you with the spirit of adoption. So even though your earthly father wasn't around, your heavenly father, you can call him Abba. There's somebody that spoke in my life in my unruly season. 
Is there anybody who can testify that you thank God that someone spoke to you in your unruly season? There are many of us who have been upset with God, been mad at God, and somebody has come into your life and says, listen, rebellion is not the way. I know you're upset. I know you're pissed off, but rebellion is not the way. He has given you beauty for ashes. And I'm glad somebody came to me and said, you can't be lukewarm. You got to be hot or cold. You must be in or out. You cannot serve God and serve man. You got to choose one and hate the other. Can anybody testify that you're grateful somebody came and warned you in your unruly season? See, you got to learn to be thankful for the warning. You got to learn to be thankful for the warning. And when you know those who labor among you, you then learn how to rebuke and speak life. But, but listen. One of the things we have an issue with is embracing when someone's trying to check us in our unruly season. Okay. Anybody know you wrong, but don't want nobody telling you you're wrong? Oh, over here? And so I said, Lord, well, how do I learn to embrace when I'm being checked in my unruly season? How do I embrace when I know I'm living wrong, thinking wrong, acting wrong, talking wrong, walking wrong, but don't want nobody to tell me that I'm wrong? I said, Lord, show me in Scripture how I can learn to live and do the right thing. How I can embrace my warning season. Psalms, Psalms 141. Psalms 141 and 5, it says, uh, let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me. It shall be a what? An excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Okay, David is writing this, and what he's doing is he's showing us what it looks like to be grateful for community that holds you accountable. Many of us have messed up friendships because your friend tried to hold you accountable. They told you the truth about yourself. You know you were wrong about yourself, but called them a hater because they told you the truth about yourself. When really what they were doing was trying to love you. And it shows us in the text what it looks like to be grateful for community that warns you, for community that rings the alarm when you're living unruly. He says, um, when I'm doing wrong, check me. Now, now, let me say this. Not when I'm doing something that your opinion does not like. The difference. Not when I'm doing something that your tradition doesn't like. But when I'm not living right, show me in Scripture and love and show me the error of my ways. Check me. He said, uh, I won't be offended. But instead, I'm going to let it be an excellent oil. Now, notice he didn't say just any oil. He said an excellent oil. Because as a church, especially the Melanin Church, 
we, we often don't understand the purpose of the oil and how important the oil is. We like to just take the oil and throw it on stuff and think that that fixes it. But, but when you look at Scripture, the oil was also used to facilitate healing. It was not just what you see at the altar when they put the cross on your forehead. But it was used for medical purposes. Okay, I want to show you some historical context of the oil. In Isaiah, Isaiah 1 and 6, Isaiah is talking about a situation that, that, that was happening in, in, in someone's current condition. And, and he talked about how the olive oil became a part of Jewish medical life. He said, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness. He said, everything is messed up. He says, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or smooth with what? With olive oil. So, so what he was saying was that I'll let it be an excellent oil in that it will provide healing for me. Okay, y'all missed it. Truth and rebuke as stated in love will be the very thing that will heal you. It will be the very thing that will open up the door for your wounds to begin to heal because many of us are living unruly out of unhealed wounds. The reason we are acting out, the reason we are doing what we're doing, the reason we are rebellious is because we are wounded. And since we are not living in healing but living in wounds, we are living unruly. Many of us are sexing out of unhealed wounds. Many of us are lying out of unhealed wounds. Many of us are stealing out of unhealed wounds. Many of us are lazy out of unhealed wounds. We are unruly because we are unhealed. See, you're wanting somebody to come and lay hands on you because you think that with the laying of the hands that anointing oil is going to be able to get you what you need. But, but sometimes it is someone correcting you and rebuking your unruly ways that is going to move you into the oil. It is someone checking you and telling you what you're doing wrong according to Scripture that is going to provide your healing. Not someone pacifying you. Not someone saying to you, the Lord knows your heart. Not someone saying to you, well, only God can judge you. It is someone telling you what you're doing wrong that is going to move you into the oil of God to provide you healing. You want the elder to lay hands on you and the pastor to lay hands on you. But really, you need correction from the Word of God to move you into healing. And I'm grateful for the people in my life who are able to rule, who are able to, to, to speak to me in my unruly season. Listen, when the rebuke comes to you, because it's going to come this week. It's going to come today. It's going to come this evening. So when the rebuke comes to you, you better learn right now to embrace it and be thankful. Because it is the rebuke. That is going to move you into your healing. And so we learn to be thankful in all seasons, but also thankful for what? For the warning. Now, he then continues to give you and I our mandate on how to take care of one another. He says, know those who labor among you. He says, uh, warn those who are in the unruly season. Um, he, he said, listen, when you serve from a heart of thankful, thankgivingness and, and thankfulness, um, you'll connect with one another. The more you work together, the more opportunities you get to get mad at each other. 
It's true. The more we work together in community, the more we work in ministry together, the more opportunities we come to be frustrated with each other. Because we're human. And we all got some issues. We all got some stuff. And we all are in different seasons. So you may not be in a season of unruliness, but the text also tells us to look out for those who may be in a season of feeble-mindedness. Okay. A season of feeble-mindedness, this is a season where you just feel like you can't go on. See, see, in your mind, they're always complaining. They're in a season of being discouraged. They're in a season of their faith failing. They're in a season of wanting to give up. They're in a season of wanting to quit. And many of us get frustrated and we get tired of hearing the same story. I'm raising my hand because that's me. I get tired of hearing about your drama. I get tired of hearing about your mess. But when I learn to serve from a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness, I begin to realize that I have an obligation to know them that labor among me. And sometimes you got to sit and listen to that mess and listen to that drama so you know how to pray for that person. So when I see my brother or my sister stuck in that season, that's when I become a family of believers that begin to walk beside my brother who's feeble-minded. Okay, what he said, he says, he says, comfort them that are feeble-minded. He tells us to support them. He then says, warn them, watch over them, keep them, carry them. Let me show you how this looks. Mackie, come here. AJ, come here for me real quick. Um, in my spirit of feeble-mindedness, I'm going to stand between y'all. I may not want to walk no more. Y'all strong enough to pick me up? <laughs> About to find out. No, listen. In my spirit of feeble-mindedness, we may be walking together. But, but after a while, I get discouraged. I don't want to walk no more. And what begins to happen is they now got to begin to carry me to the finish line. But, but look, let me tell you what happens. Let me show you what happens. But, but, but listen. But oftentimes, that can be difficult. So sometimes you need some more brothers to come in and help you out and to encourage you to support the feeble-minded. So they begin to call up Brother Glover, and they begin to call up Elder Vince, and they say, come on, you got you to gotta help us with our brother. Y'all got to move a little faster than that. Y'all got to, we got an issue going on. We got a feeble-minded brother that we got to carry. And as I continue to not want to stand... Oh, it's a lot easier to carry the feeble-minded brother. My feet are off the ground. And now I've gotten strong enough to walk on my own. And I can say, I praise God for my brothers for helping me. Is there anybody who can get behind the feeble-minded? Who can be thankful that in your season, someone came and picked you up? In your season, someone came and grabbed you? In your season, someone carried you to the finish line? Okay, uh, write this down. You're going to need it this week. Write this down, and I'll let you go home. Romans, Romans 15, Romans 15, 1. Romans 15, 1. Write this down. You're going to need it this week. This is your homework this week. Romans 15, 1 is your assignment this week. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay. Don't be frustrated with the feeble-minded, but you got to pick them up and carry them sometime. They are in need of growth. You got to support the weak. Don't discard them. Don't throw them out, but rally around them and lift them up. Be patient with all men and follow that which is good.
I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to let you give up. I'm not going to let you turn around because we are called in community to carry each other. Because I remember when somebody carried me in my feeble-minded season. And so I'm grateful for those who picked me up and those who carry me. And so today what we've learned today to start us off in our series of being thankful through it all, the first mandate that you and I have is that you and I have a reason to be thankful through it all because God has placed us in community with one another. A church is not a brand. The church is not something to just yell out and have a logo about. A church is a community. It is a body of believers who are called to know who labor among us to warn the unruly and to carry those who are weak. Now, musicians, you can come. Praise and worship team, you can come. We're going we're gonna to close out, but I, I want to give you something real fast. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16. That's where we started off today. And all this month, we're going to learn what it means to be thankful through it all. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. This is your memory verse for this week. Which means that you remember this verse, you meditate on this verse, you remind yourself this verse, and it's only two words. The verse says, rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Now, now notice has it, how it has a period. After the word, evermore. It does not say rejoice, comma, only if you get healed. It does not say rejoice, comma, only if the money hits your account. It does not say rejoice, comma, only if you get the new position. But rejoice evermore, period. In the Greek, it is pronounced pantote. And what it means, it means at all times. So the text is saying, rejoice at all times, period. Rejoice when your rent is due, period. Rejoice when the rent is paid, period. Rejoice when the doctors don't know what's going on, period. Rejoice when God provides healing, period. Rejoice when you lose someone you love, period. Rejoice because they're in heaven, period. Rejoice at all times. Is there anybody who can rejoice at all times? Can you stand to your feet and thank God for the moment you're in and just rejoice for your current situation? Rejoice for what you're going through. Rejoice for what's coming up. Rejoice for your victory. Rejoice in your struggles. Rejoice in your depression. Rejoice in your joy. Rejoice in your pain. Rejoice evermore. Look, look, he says, he says, um, Paul, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, you remain standing, we're going home. Paul, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, he's looking to create a culture in the church and a culture in the body of believers that continues to remind them that they always have something to thank God for. And the enemy's biggest trick is to cause you to forget what you have been given, which is your time, which is your life, which is your right now, and causes us to focus on what we don't have. And when you learn to focus on what you've been given, it builds on the inside of you thankfulness. 
Because you always have a reason to worship. Okay, look. If your car is giving you trouble, you can praise God because there are some people who may not have a car in the first place to give them trouble. So rejoice anyway. Rejoice when the alternator ain't turning like it's supposed to be. Rejoice when your starter not working. Listen, rejoice regardless of what's happening. When your children are stressing you out, getting on your nerves, you can praise God because he blessed you with children in the first place. Listen, listen. Uh, uh, little man, man may be bad, but I'm going to rejoice because children are a blessing from the Lord. So I rejoice always. And when I learn to rejoice in spite of my circumstance, I continue to cultivate the joy that every believer has been given through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all it does is grow and increase in me a spirit of thankfulness on the inside of me. In the field of psychology, there's something called autonomy or automacity. And it is the ability to do things without that thing even occupying space in your mind. Which means that you don't need any details to do it. It becomes an automatic response, an automatic pattern, or an automatic habit. It is usually the result of learning through repetition or practice by doing it over and over and over again. And since God is an intelligent designer who created you and me, intelligent life, he knows how he wired us. And so scripture serves the purpose of aligning us to be wired to have a certain automatic response to the things that are going to happen to us in life. And I believe that through scripture, we can learn to have a response that causes us to always be able to rejoice, always. And I'm going to give you what the Lord God programmed on the inside of us through scripture. Now listen to what I'm saying. He's the intelligent designer. Anything that has intelligent life normally has to be programmed or wired a certain way. And the moment that thing stops doing what it was supposed to do in repetition, it begins to lose it until it starts doing it again. So therefore, the reason that you and I probably can't rejoice always is because we stopped rejoicing in the first place. I am wired for praise. I am wired for worship. And the moment I stopped doing what I was supposed to do, it becomes dormant in my life. And so what he does is he gives you scripture to be able to reignite and to work the memory muscle that he already put in you in eternity. Okay. Philippians 4.4. 4, let me show you this. Let me show you how he programmed us to operate and work. Philippians 4.4 4 says simply rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Okay. You may have missed it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and practicing being thankful in all things, I can learn to develop an automaticity in how I respond to everything that happens to me. Because if I learn to put Philippians 4.4 into practice, I'll train myself to rejoice. And even when I remind myself that things are not the best, I would then remind myself again to rejoice. It is not an option for me to rejoice. But when I practice the scripture, it becomes non-negotiable for me to rejoice. I rejoice 
And then again I say rejoice. And the more I do it, and the more I stop focusing on my suffering, but understanding that my current suffering cannot compare to the glory and the joy that I'm going to receive on the other side, it helps me to rejoice even in my suffering. And what happens is I create a cycle of rejoicing. Many of us are in a cycle of so many other things. You know what your thing is. But what happens when you get in a cycle of rejoicing to where I can rejoice, I experience pain, but I'm going to rejoice through the pain to get back to rejoicing. I can rejoice and I experience issues, but I'm going to rejoice through the issues to get back to rejoicing. It is a cycle of rejoicing. And all this week, I want us to learn to live in a cycle of rejoicing. The cycle of rejoicing recognizes that issues will come up. But in spite of my issues, I press to rejoice. I can go in circles, but I always get back to rejoicing. I may have some down days, but I'm going to get back to rejoicing. I may be mad for a moment, but I'm going to get back to rejoicing. I may be down for a little bit, but I'm going to get back to rejoicing. I got to learn to get back to rejoicing. And again, I say, rejoice. So as the prayer warriors come, as our altar workers come, you have to cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. It's something you have to put in motion in your life. You have to cultivate a spirit of gratefulness that even when situations and circumstances do not feel perfect, they're not what you think they should be, you're not where you want to be, you learn to be thankful and to be content through it all. And so today I want to invite you. Prayer changes things. Prayer activates things. There is power in prayer. And so if you're here today, the first call I want to make, if you want to give Jesus Christ your life, if you want to give him your life, I want you to make your way to the altar. If you have not confessed and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and rose again from the grave, then at this moment, based on what the Bible tells us, you are not saved. Which means that you will have to pay the debt for your own sin.